0: John Teeter. Hi, I'm John Teeter with Whitetail Landscapes. This is Maximize Your hunt. You know, I've been fortunate over the years to work with a lot of clients and walk a lot of properties. I get a lot of feedback and information from the clients and I really kind of enjoy the discussions. You know it's funny because the discussions are a lot of times very similar. You know, clients want to focus on how to access where to put tree stands, what plants to put in their food plots, And a lot of that boils down to, you know, kind of secondary discussions. I don't really start there, and I've never really kind of approached with, all right, we're going to figure out exactly how to kill these deer. I kind of look at the property uh, a little different, and I start with fundamentals. This is a secret to how I evaluate a property. I start with the soil. Now, that doesn't sound like a secret, but it's a starting point. And if I have one starting point, I know where to lead from that. Good soils on a property lead to more plants, healthier plants, nutrient-rich plants that more than likely provide more traction to the species that we want to kill. So if I'm making a correlation between soil and killing deer, I think I'm doing justice to that particular point. It's a fundamental process. It's fundamental to understanding the substrate of that soil. Soil is basically the foundation of our forests and fields. If we don't have good soils, those particular plants will be less productive. There's a direct correlation. It's almost a linear line in my, in my head. Now, when I evaluate soils on a, a property, I want diversity in soils. I don't want all the same soils. If it's a very healthy soil, that's better than unhealthy soil. It's a simple equation. But when I look more down into the weeds... So, to speak, I notice the plant life that are present on those landscapes and the abundance of those plants. That is an indicator of the type of soils that I'm dealing with. It also helps me to define utilization and interest in certain areas. And of course, plants lead me to believe that if there's a lot of them and there's a lot of health and nutrient as it relates to those, deer are going to be highly attracted. I've made the same point twice. Soils attract deer, and it's an energy exchange. The plants themselves provide energy for deer, and deer need energy to live. It's a simple equation, but that gets you down the road of understanding the importance of soil. I would rather have a property that had really healthy soils than poor soils. I would buy a property that had healthier soils than poor soils. I would buy a property that had average hunting quality because of the neighborhood, etc., because they had healthier soils. Again, soil is important. So I hope I've made that point clear. Now, when you're evaluating the soil, you can do it a bunch of different ways. You can get your hands dirty, you can dig in the dirt, and you can evaluate it. You can look at the, the texture, the tilth of the soil, and see how healthy it is. It's funny, just looking at soil, you may know more than you think. Soil organic material uh, is is really critical for plant life. You know, sometimes uh, darker soil will indicate it, assuming it's not extremely wet, will indicate the volume and depth of the organic material, you know, in that substrate. Looking how the soil forms, its compaction qualities, it's the way it aggregates together. Looking at the soil and drying it out, you can see, is it more of sandy? Um, feeling the texture of the soil slimy? Is it clay soil? If it's a combination of all those and it's kind of gritty, it might be loomy soil, that's that's a good healthy soil. That's most of the time where I want to stand. In my area, I'm in the northern settings, I'm dealing with coniferous and deciduous trees, more deciduous than coniferous in many areas, and a lot of times they have a lot of humus or mull in the top layer. You know, kind of that kind of gray brown type material. Then as you dig down deeper, you'll you'll notice that, you know, you don't have a lot of depth. Uh, some of the plants struggle to uh, you know, send a deep tap root. Um, And a lot of times it's an indicator of species, but there's some mineral exchange. But uh, a lot of times the depth and the related content is a lot on the top of the soil because that's where you get the most leaf litter decomposing. And obviously that attracts a lot of invertebrates like earthworms. And, of course, earthworms are also a uh, provider of health. Earthworms help create channels and trails, and, you know, they also uh, provide health to the plants and and resident microbes in the soil. They work together in, in unison. When we think of uh, soil, a lot of times we think about, you know, if it's good or bad. And we don't recognize it could be a limiting factor in our landscape. And a limiting factor to me really is kind of an environmental factor. But it it doesn't necessarily have to be an environmental factor. But it restricts, you know, the population size and health. In this case, we're focused on deer. And, of course, in most, you know, areas or based on most hunters' preferences, they don't want to limit the size and health of their deer. They want healthy, strong deer in abundance. Sometimes those things don't go hand in hand, but, you know, that's the hope. And that is ultimately a goal for a lot of people. They want healthier, bigger deer. And, of course, those are some of the same goals that I have. And it takes a while to get there, but it all starts with the soil. Also consider that the plant species that are present on your landscape will provide an indication of if you have very wet soil or moderate or, or dry soil. Xeric soils, which are dry, uh, tend to favor certain plant species. Uh, when I think of dry soils, I, I always think of thistle, um, nettle, uh, you know, some ground plants, sorrel. Uh, but I also think more about the tree species. Uh, one that pops into my ha- head is chickapin oak. I've always recognized that chickapin oak does well on dry sites. It's matching the plants to the location and using that as an indicator of what grows well there. And hydric soils, of course, you know, those are kind of wetter areas. You're going to notice more sedges and cattails and uh, crabgrass and, and some cases where, you know, it's, you know, covered trees, but there's a lot of moisture. There could be moss in those areas. Peat moss comes to mind. Now, my areas are mesic, so they're kind of a balance between very wet and very dry soils. You know, I think they're kind of the middle ground and they tend to produce a lot of lush plant life. Those are kind of the middle ground options and really what I prefer to, you know, when I'm looking at the physiology of the soil, that's kind of where I want to stick. Now, limiting factors, again, as I explained in our case was soil, but of course, water rich plants in the form of forbs can be a high attraction value to deer. If you work in areas or you have property in areas that are very dry, you're not going to have the amount of water content in your plants. And, of course, that may make you be interested in supplementing water sources or providing additional water sources. There's a lot of ways to do that. Freestanding water, collecting water, diverging water, uh, introducing water in tubs. There's a lot of ways to introduce water in the landscape. But if it's a limiting factor, any limiting factor, diagnose it on your landscape, and hopefully you can correct it. Not everything can be corrected and it takes time to do certain activities, but recognize that limiting factors are going to limit your deer. Let me give you the basic approach that I have. And this really is sounds quite simple, but this is the other secret that I have. When I'm looking at a landscape, I take this philosophy called the blank slate approach. I start with the soil. Then I look at the plants. I listen to clients input, but I just look at the property of the way it stands today. Does it do everything it can to meet a certain goal? If it doesn't, then it needs to change every property can be improved. If anybody tells you their property is 100% running like a machine, it's impossible. No property is running like a machine all the time. Seasonally, our properties vary. They vary in interest. They vary in quality. Their attraction value changes. They're not all equal. Obviously, that's a problem. So you you can certainly fix those. If you have a uh, very dense, highly stocked property, uh, timber wise, and you want to make some changes, you can make changes. You can make a poor, I'll call it a CD property and a property. My property is a great example. I walked into that property. There were hardly any deer. There wasn't defined trails, bedding, none of those things. I defined specific zones and goals for those zones. And those goals set me up to attracting the right amount of deer or the deer in the areas that I wanted them to be in and allowed me to hunt them a lot easier. It was really a simple equation. Uh, A lot of times you're working with different types of plants and, uh, you know, in this case, trees and connecting the dots, making them productive for a purpose. The blank slate, really what that does is it, it removes biases. If you don't have a plan going in a property, it's a little bit easier to be objective. Once you have a plan, you get a little more slated. You don't make the right decisions. I've done this on my own property where I struggle to make decisions because I'm so inundated with what I think is the right thing to do. And I haven't stepped back and tried to define my goals. And we'll have a separate podcast on defining goals. But in this case, when we're breaking our property into zones, ecological zones or what have you, and it might just be, you know, I've got 50 acres. I want to break it into 10 acre sections. But defining a purpose for those zones, an example is I may want an area of a forest stand to become a very uh, utilized bedding area, but I don't want any food to be in there. I just want it to be a bedding area. Now, you can create or cut trees to create bedding interest in an area. And maybe adjacent to that, you want a food source so it pulls that deer or those deer that are resident in that area into that food source. Or maybe you want an area where the deer can loaf so they have a better breeding ground. Deer love shrubland settings, and most of the properties they go on, they don't have those. Those are some of the best breeding grounds that deer can have. They're limited in the landscape. All right, so let me add another little uh, wrinkle in this equation. Blank slate approach is typically uh, difficult for a landowner to do because they're most of the time, unless they're a brand new landowner, they've got a ton of biases. If you're a landowner and you're looking at your property, recognize one thing. It's not productive or it's not as productive as it should be. If you recognize that, you're going to be open to change. I had a client a few years ago saying, my property's awesome, I'm already killing big bucks, and I kind of wondered why he hired me. We well, had all these fundament, fundamental issues with his hunting tactics that we had to change, and his property needed a ton of improvement, but he didn't see it the same way. And so reshaping his mind and twisting his thoughts to recognize that You know, you could do this or that, which will get you a lot farther. He wanted to put food plots in the woods, and he didn't think at all about the related cover. He didn't recognize that you could have as much food from cutting timber as you could from a food plot. And by the way, it's a lot cheaper to do the timber cutting than it is the food plot. So getting somebody to understand that they have, you know, changes they can make or being open-minded to changes is really critical. But when I walked in the property, I have limited bias, and that really has served me well. So let's talk about time and effort, and I talked about this in the intro podcast. If you can't dedicate a ton of time to your property in the off-season, it may not make sense for you to own a large piece of land. Now, more land is usually better in a lot of cases, but if you can't optimize every inch of that land you know, for a particular purpose, it may not make sense to you. I want a machine, right? I want something running like a machine, and of course, nothing does that. But if I have 200 acres and I can only dedicate, you know, five man days a year to improving the the property, it's going to take me eons to make it highly productive. I want to speed up the process so as much time as I can commit in the off season leading to better hunting is kind of where my mind's at. And I think most people will go to the same place. Of course, you know, time and balancing family and all those things are really critical in this equation. But here's where I start. So when I'm looking at the landscape, and let's say I have a maple beach forest and uh, it's 10 acres and I have a 50-acre property, I look at that 10 acres separate from the field setting that's 10 or 15 acres adjacent to it. And I may focus on one and optimize one before I get to the other. Sometimes I'll split the baby and do both, but most of the time I won't do that. I'll maximize one area of interest that may benefit my hunting a little bit more, and then I'll focus on part two, which is, you know, secondary. Again, breaking your property into zones and recognizing the time that it's going to take to improve that property for a particular purpose is critical to the process. And of course, you know, we're managing energy in all these equations. We talked about soil earlier, but sunlight is one of the main keys. The more sun you get in certain areas, the more opportunity you have plants that will be photosizing and producing, uh, you know, fruits or growing, you know, all those things lead to available food. And again, it goes right back to food is king. And natural food is even more important because you don't have to continue to plan it. Your headache of running a tractor, uh, which is freeing for a lot of people, but your time and effort involved is going to be, you know, limited uh, from the standpoint of you do not have to focus on certain things uh, that are naturally happening on your landscape that are creating a lot of traction value. All right, let me talk a little bit about, you know, where I'm going with this. When I look at a woodlot, I notice in most cases – Uh, and this is particularly in the north, that you'll have, you know, five, six, seven, eight, nine species of trees in that woodlot. Some will be in more abundance than the other, and that's obviously an indicator of, you know, what likes to grow in that area. And I evaluate the purpose of those trees. So when I have the blank slate approach and I'm looking at my landscape and I've got good soil and plants growing, I define the purpose of those plants. Are they plants that I like that benefit, you know, what my ultimate goals are? And maybe it's I want so many you know, mass producing trees in this area, or I want, you know, so much forb content in this area that's going to be, you know, in high abundance on an annual basis uh, seasonally for deer. I'm creating a lot of attraction value, but I need to understand what plants work for a particular purpose. So you've got to know a lot about plants. All right. One of my favorite plants is Eastern redbud and Eastern red is not really present a lot in New York state, maybe in the Southern part, uh, a lot in the Midwest, uh, Midwest areas, and some kind of, I like, can just think in Southern Pennsylvania or uh, Pennsylvania in general, uh, but it's not really present in my landscape. I put eastern redbud on my property this year, and I really love the trees. They're they they uh, they're gorgeous trees that bloom in the spring, and they, they pervade, provide a great shade uh, content. They're uh, kind of lower, understory trees. Uh, they absolutely need sunlight. They're a multi-stem trunk uh, and they have, uh, create a lot of structure in the landscape. Uh, they're not really a food source, certainly not for deer for that matter. And, of course, you know, they, they uh, hold their leaves a little bit longer, in some cases, than most. But they produce these pods and these seeds, you know, really distribute throughout the landscape. So they're pretty good proliferating themselves, and they've got a great root. Uh, they're hard to pull out. But, again, the trees in abundance create a great shade uh, situation. They can be really good in, in shrubland areas if you want to introduce them. So just an example. So that tree I've introduced in the landscape, particularly in open settings, that have given me a shade component, and they proliferate, and they're not really edible by deer. Deer don't consume them. So it's a tree species that isn't consumed uh, by deer, and it's easy to grow. I don't have to cage them, et cetera, et cetera. Of course, it's defining each tree's purpose in the landscape. That can be a lot of work. But identify, you know, the tree species on your landscapes and try to figure out the benefit to, you know, the deer. Now, another piece of this is obviously... You know, trying to make some decisions uh, based upon, you know, what your ultimate goals are. And again, I think we're going to define goals in a separate co- podcast, but you're always thinking about your neighbor. You know, does my neighbor have better property than me? What's my neighbor doing? You know, you can't control what your neighbor does, but you can certainly control, you know, where you're limiting on your landscape. But recognize that they may have features on their landscapes, where it's terrain or vegetation, that outdoes you. And you've got to be okay with that. But you've got to work your damnedest to compete with them. Now, not everything is a competition. Of course, some neighbors work, you know, hand and glove together, and they build, a, a, you know, kind of a, a, you know, a standing where you want, you know, similar goals and outcomes. But a lot of times, at least in the environments I'm working with, you know, you're working for a particular purpose that's opposing your neighbor or doesn't necessarily correlate. And understand that in some situations, their conditions on their particular property, uh, regardless if they do any habitat work or not may lead to a better outcome. Just the way the property stands, maybe their access, you know, the conditions, the type of soil. So we're always interested in what's going on around us. And I think that's good. We recognize in some cases, some properties may be better than others. And when you're buying a property, you know, take a look at your neighborhood. Look at what properties may be, you know, highly productive for deer hunting and compare your property to it. Do the X's and O's in that equation. All right, I think I've given a lot of information in this podcast. You know, I've given my process. I look at soil; it's fundamental. Uh, I talked a little bit about sun and sun energy, and obviously, sun helps plants grow and develop and produce. Uh, you know, different uh, you know different mass or what have you. And of course, keeping an open mind, limiting your biases, and thinking about your property in zones and defining a purpose for those zones make a connection to your overarching goal Define goals for your properties and make sure that those zones and the purpose of those zones will get you to the end game if it's trying to kill deer make sure that falls into the equation it's very simple of defining an ultimate goal of killing more deer or being able to harvest more deer across the landscape in multiple areas and making sure that those areas are highly productive or interesting to deer of course every single property is going to vary and so is the strategy and i hope this wasn't too complicated this is my process. These are my secrets. Thanks for following. I'm John Teeter with Whitetail Landscapes. This is Maximize Your Hunt. Maximize Your Hunt is a production of Whitetail Landscapes. For more information on how John Teeter and his team of experts can help you maximize your hunt, check out whitetaillandscapes.com.